channel open. Welcome back to Weekly Trek, a proud member of the Tricorder Transmissions Podcast Network. I am your host, Alex Perry. What's today's date? The date. Today's show was recorded on February 8th, 2020, and is current through the Star Trek Picard episode, The End is the Beginning. So beware of spoilers. All right, let's get into the show. Good day, Voyager, and welcome to A Briefing with Neelix. It's a catchy title, isn't it? Weekly Trek is a 30-minute news show covering the biggest stories from the Star Trek franchise. We are in a new golden age of Star Trek. There are five television shows at some point in production, possibly more on the way, and enough merchandise to fill the Bajoran wormhole. So stick with me and I'll help you sort the real facts from a lot of the Dominion propaganda that you'll find online. But I can't do this alone, and my guest this week, making his second appearance on Weekly Trek The Next Generation and a previous host of Weekly Trek The Original Series, Jamie McGregor. Jamie, welcome back to Weekly Trek. Hey, Alex. Great to be chatting to you about all things Star Trek. Everything is firing on all cylinders, isn't it, in the Star Trek world at the moment? So great to to chat about where we're at. It sure is. And you are so excited for Star Trek this week that uh, you are in Las Vegas a full six months before Star Trek Las Vegas (laughs) this year. So hold a seat for us at the Masquerade Bar. We'll be there soon. No problem. Will do. (laughs) All right, Jamie. Well, I want to know something that's got you feeling good about Star Trek at the moment. What's got you moving at Warp 10? Well, as you say, here I am in Las Vegas home of STLV. So I, you know, I thought, of course, all of your guests for 10 weeks are going to say, Star Trek Picard has me moving at Warp 10. And of course, that is true for me as well. But being here in Las Vegas, I thought, let's talk a little bit about the convention world, because that is something that is very close to Star Trek's heart and you know, has, has sustained it all through the years of Star Trek's existence. And I just think in a year that has seen the very unfortunate and very untimely passing of Renee Bergenoir and Aaron Eisenberg, I think, you know, Star Trek has to face the reality that not all of the original crews we know and love are going to be around forever. But what has me warping at Warp 10 is that we are going to have a whole new set of heroes to kind of renew and replenish the love. And I'm just so excited about the current state of the Trek universe from that point of view, because hopefully we get a big showing of Star Trek Picard at STLV. We did from the Discovery cast the first year after that show started and looking at what's on the way with um, you know Lower Decks, the Nickelodeon show. God forbid we have a Starfleet Academy show. Those poor kids are going to be doing you know, conventions <laughs> for years. So my excitement is for a photo op with Laris and Zaban at uh, STLV 2020. Surely no one could say no to that, right? Okay, so you want Orla Brady and Jamie McShane to be at STLV 2020. Who else from the Cast, would you really like to see? Well, I know we're going to get, hopefully we'll see Jerry and Jonathan Delarco again, but the whole cast, Alison Pill, Michelle Hurd, I'm delighted to see an Australian in Ibn Evagora in a Star Trek cast. So uh, the first Australian in a Star Trek cast. Absolutely. So let's, let's go. We need more Australians in, in Star Trek. So, uh, and Lord knows if a Romulan can have an Irish accent, I think we can have an Aussie, uh, Aussie Romulan too. We certainly can. And we discovered this week that, you know, regional variations amongst Romulans is canon. You know, we've seen in these first few episodes, we have Romulans that have both the smooth TOS and Star Trek 2009 foreheads, as well as ones that have the ridges much more akin to the next generation versions of the Romulans. And according to Laris in this past week's episode, that's a regional difference. Northern Romulans have the ridges, and I guess Romulans who don't come from the North don't. Those bloody Northerners, eh? (laughs) 
Yeah, that's a great one. And part of me is wondering, you know, I think some folks have been disappointed that STLV guest announcements have been rather slow this year. I mean, we know that for STLV, we'll be getting the full cast of Star Trek Voyager, but the rest of the guest list is relatively thin. They're up to somewhere like 55 guests right now. Uh, Normally, they're a bit higher than that. And I have to wonder if part of that isn't because they're trying to work out how to get Discovery folks and Picard folks to the show and, and trying to determine, you know, will Picard be filming if they're filming? What kind of cast member availability will they be getting? I'm sure that's no small logistical challenge and frankly also no small financial commitment on their part to get these guests. I think that's absolutely right. Yeah, but we but we have a lot to look forward to in, in future years, I think. We certainly do. Well, the thing I'm feeling good about Star Trek this week is today, February 8th, is the 27th anniversary of the broadcast, oh yes, I'm going old school, of a particular Next Generation episode that actually has a pretty nice tie-in to what we've seen on Star Trek Picard so far. So on February 8th, 1993, Face of the Enemy was first broadcast, the season six episode of The Next Generation in which Deanna Troy is kidnapped and made to look like a Romulan and has to help a group of dissidents from Spock's Vulcan unification movement escape the Romulan Empire without giving away her cover. And the way I think it ties into Picard very well, not least because it, it, you know, it, it sort of establishes a, a bunch a backstory for the Romulan Empire is in the opening sequence of the episode, we come to discover that Romulan starships do not have voice-activated interfaces. Troy gets up and she's trying to summon the computer and it's silent. Uh, nothing responds. And that was a kind of cool sort of throwaway little thing that happened in the early 1990s. But I would wager a guess has formed part of this sort of backstory that they've now provided the Romulans around their sort of strong aversion to artificial intelligence. Laris even says in the in Maps and Legends that, you know, if you notice that we, you know, we don't have these sort of voice activated computers in the Romulan Empire. So in addition to being a fabulous Troy episode, a fabulous Romulan episode, it is now part of the tapestry, another fabulous season six episode of this show that has brought us the Picard that we have today. Yeah. Well, obviously, you know, the Romulan Empire doesn't like AI. Alex, right? So you can't have automatic, you know, Alexa does not exist in in the Romulan world, I'm sure. And, you know, yes, there may be a rogue band of Romulan cyberneticists, but I'm sure they're under the radar. So, you know, if you know about them, they exist, but, you know, they're not in polite society. There's a little bit of headcanon there that can get you through anything through uh, through TNG, I'm, I'm fairly sure. Oh, absolutely. All right. Well, with that, let's turn to the week's top stories. There's a war going on, and I'm a reporter. So our first story this week is an interview in the New York Daily News with Michelle Hurd, who made her first appearance in Star Trek Picard playing Raffi Musica in the second episode, Maps and Legends, but only very briefly at the end of the episode. And so this most recent episode, The End is the Beginning, is the one where we got the opportunity to really meet the character for the first time. Michelle was talking a little bit in the interview about her 
audition and hiring process for Star Trek Picard. I guess when she was initially doing the audition, did not realize that this was a Star Trek production until she saw that Sir Patrick Stewart was listed as one of the producers and then she figured it out. Uh, She also talked about how intimidated she was meeting Sir Patrick, that all she got to say to him before they started table reading after she'd been cast was just a quick hello and that uh, she was was shaking and trying to stay calm. And again, same thing when he first showed up on set. But, you know, in a sign of, I think, how far Patrick Stewart has come, she said that he, who had had a bit of a reputation in the early days of The Next Generation as something of an on-set martinet, uh, has evolved a lot over the last two decades. And she said that, you know, he very quickly put her at ease and, and made her feel like family. She talked a little bit about the character who we got the opportunity to meet in this episode. She said she's absolutely haunted by decisions that were made in the past by herself and the company that she keeps. She drinks, she smokes, and she has some addictions. I think we got a chance to see a little piece of all of that in the third episode of Picard. And I think, you know, it certainly seems like Michelle has created a fan favorite character. Uh, lots of people seem to be very impressed with Rafi's character and looking forward to seeing more. Jamie, were you a fan of Rafi? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, what a great episode, episode three of Picard was. And, you know, in, in assembling this very motley crew of broken individuals all of whom with their own demons that are going to come together and have an adventure. What exactly that adventure is going to be, we'll find out. We'll start finding out next week. But um, yeah, and what I really liked about this was that Michelle has obviously done a lot of thinking about the the broken nature of her character. And I just want to also mention the interview with Will Wheaton on The Ready Room put up by CBS. And I know you guys talked about it last week on Weekly Trek that this was actually, you felt that they were getting this show right and the interview between Michelle Hurd and Will Wheaton is actually really good this week. And she even includes a little bit of backstory about, you know, how Rafi got into this position and, you know, what's happened with her parents and talks a lot about how delighted she is to be on Star Trek for various different reasons. So if you haven't seen that, I'd highly recommend it. And it really does flesh out and add a lot more value to this character that we uh, we saw on screen for pretty much the first time in, in episode three. Yeah, Michelle is mixed race. She has a white parent and an African-American parent. And she was talking on the ready room about how for many years she did not see mixed race people on TV shows and and now you know that has started to change but Star Trek is still very much at the forefront of showing a diverse society on television and and I think she is very pleased to be part of that movement and now giving folks you know the kind of character that will provide a, a somebody you know a child in the same situation somebody to look up to and somebody to see on screen and see themselves in it which is which is really nice and yeah, again, the Ready Room this week hit it out of the park, provided additional excellent context on the episode, analytical reflections on what was going on. We learned a lot about both Rafi and Michelle as an actress. Uh, it was another it was another really fabulous outing from Will Wheaton. Yeah, 100%. So I highly recommend that and this interview also. So get your... Michelle Heard fix uh, off those two uh, those two interviews. So our next story this week is actually another of these throwback interviews to the press junket. Uh, this one's on trekcore.com interview with Jerry Ryan and Jonathan Delarco. I decided to hold this until Delarco's first appearance, which just happened in the most recent episode where we discovered he is the director of the Artifact, the Borg Reclamation Project. And this interview is uh, Jerry Ryan and Jonathan Delarco talking about sort of returning to Star Trek, maintaining the secrecy of their characters' roles, some of the ways that they started to think about, you know, the Borg's place 
in Picard society. And, and at the time, they're trying to be very circumspect. But now I think we have a much better sense of what it was they were talking about and the sort of direction they were hinting that the show was going at. The funniest part of the interview, though, is the discussion about them trying to keep under wraps. Before their participation in the show had been announced at San Diego Comic-Con, Jerry Ryan recounted the story, which I think she's told before, about how they were filming at Universal Studios, and because her participation in the project was not public, anytime she was outside of the trailer or off the set, she had to wear this like giant cloak that, that totally obscured her features, and that at one point she was wearing this cloak on her way to set and the golf cart they were on was going quite slowly and she realized it's because they were trailing one of Universal Studios tram tours that you can take at the back lot. <laughs> which, you know, I think basically both Jerry and Jonathan were very impressed that the secret of their participation uh, managed to be kept until the announcement. Jonathan Delarco was sort of talking about how he did not do any location shooting, really, because at least so far, the scenes we've seen of him uh, have all been on the Borg Cube set. But even then, out at the studios they film at in Santa Clarita, California, he still said that basically when he was not on the set, he was locked in his trailer because they wouldn't allow him sort of to freely roam around outside just in case anybody took their picture. Jerry Ryan talked about uh, how she had initially been skeptical about returning to the role of Seven of Nine, you know, Seven not having had any previous interaction with the Next Generation characters, what was her role in the story going to be? Did it make sense? We know, of course, that she'd previously been offered a chance to appear in the last Next Generation movie, Nemesis, and had ultimately turned it down because she felt like it was just a glorified cameo. But this one, she does seem to have been much happier about. She says, I love the way she's introduced. It makes perfect sense for her and Picard's paths to cross and interact because they have a shared Borg history. And it does seem like this issue of marginalization and marginalized communities is definitely one of these themes that they're looking to explore in this Borg story. And, and we've seen that start to play out on the screen, the XBs. Hugh talks in the most recent episode about how these ex-Borgs are, you know, some of the most hated people in the galaxy, that the Romulans are sort of slowly liberating these Borg drones from the collective, not because they want to kind of restore these people's individuality, but because they want to harvest the technology and get access to that technology in order to be able to sell. So Delarco in this interview is talking about, you know, there are marginalized people around the world, and that's an interesting turn for Hugh and Seven as well. It means a lot to me, actually, because I'm an immigrant, and the things that are happening worldwide, certainly at our border, are really personal to me, and the show has themes in it that touch on that piece alone. What Jerry Ryan also says is that her appearance in Star Trek Picard is actually the first time that Picard and Seven of Nine meet in the timeline, so we do get to see their first meeting, and that actually it's potentially quite a contentious meeting, and that, that Seven of Nine sort of blames Picard for a lot of what has happened to her and to the people around her over the last two decades since the last time we saw her. And to the question, will Seven of Nine be referred to as Seven of Nine or Annika Hansen? The answer was, we will have to wait and see. So we will wait and see. We know Seven appears uh, in Jonathan Frakes' episodes, which were episodes four and five. So we have no more than two weeks left to wait until we get to see Seven for the first time. But Jamie, did you enjoy seeing Jonathan this week on Star Trek Picard? And was there anything else about this interview that struck you? Of course, it was great to see Hugh back 20 years or so after we 
last saw him. Got to say, fantastic moisturizer. I imagine that he's been utilizing in that time. <laughs> uh, he uh, looking looking very uh, very human at this point, which is or I mean, did we ever actually find out that Hugh was a human? I I, I assume he's actually. Uh, we don't actually know what species Hugh is. I think I'm not sure. Is it actually been determined that Hugh's a human? It is not. We actually don't know what race Hugh is. We assume he's an alien, but he definitely has very human features. Yes. At any rate, the other thing I liked about the interview was them laughing over the fans' speculation about things on Twitter. Obviously, Jerry Ryan follows Trek Core, as all good Star Trek fans should, but um, they also, I liked how they were also la- laughing over, um, you know, who Seven is crying over in the in the trailer and hit the various different suggestions of people that, um, of course, that's got to be Chakotay. You know, I can't wait till episode eight and everyone's expecting a, an appearance from Brian Brophy as Maddox, but no, we get Robert Beltran as uh, as, <laughs> as a dead Chakotay. Dead Chakotay shot in a firefight or something like that. It's going to set everyone off. The, the other thing I noted was Delaco did make a comment that we will see exactly the status of the Borg at this stage. So he made a comment of, you know, what happened to the collective, whether it's still there or not, is it still a threat? That's to be revealed. So I've kind of, you know, I've been interested that we haven't really seen the Borg so much in Star Trek Picard as we have seen a cube that is being slowly taken apart by the Romulans. And so it seems like we will actually see the Borg as they exist in whatever format they exist at this particular time. So that's yet to come, and I'm excited about that. Yeah, we are sort of now, you know, now we're past the first three episodes. We're through a lot of the trailer content, which means that how the sort of season plays out from here on out is anybody's guess. And, you know, the number of clues that there are for what happens the rest of the season. I mean, we know, you know, Seven of Nine is going to appear. We haven't met Elnor yet. We know that's going to happen next week. We know that Riker and Troy are going to be in it. But beyond that, there's sort of three or four episodes in the season that we just have no idea what the content of these... How exciting is that? Yeah, it's so exciting. I mean, it's great because, you know, it's like, on the one hand, it's, you know, it's 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 nice to get all this sort of pre-sense of what the show's going to be, but at the same time, it's also, it is good to be surprised. And I think there are lots of surprises left to come. Yeah, there's a few decreasing surprises if you read the track listing of the soundtrack. <laughs> yes, which we will get to in a second. But yes, it is spoilerific, which is rather unfortunate. Well, that is a good segue for us to move to talk about the first soundtrack for Star Trek Picard. So since our last episode, Lakeshore Records have both announced and released the first Star Trek Picard soundtrack. Star Trek Picard Season 1, Chapter 1, was released on Friday, February the 7th on digital formats. You can get it on Amazon.com, Apple Music, anywhere you get your digital music from. The soundtrack has, looks like, so it's not, obviously it's not music from the whole season. It's listed as chapter one. So we're anticipating that we will probably get a second soundtrack release for the first season towards the end of the season. But certainly looks like it has music from the first five episodes. I'd listened through it once. There's definitely plenty of music from episodes one, two, and three that we just watched, but also music from episodes that we haven't got yet. The soundtrack retails for a little less than $10, at least on that's how much it's listed for on Amazon. Apparently, there are CD and vinyl releases that are expected later this year, but when Star Trek Discovery Season 2 was released 
on digital after the second season of Discovery, we were also told to expect both CD and vinyl releases. And now eight months later, we've had the vinyl release, but no CD release. So we'll have to see if they actually follow through on that. But yes, to Jamie's point, one word of warning, uh, which is that there are definitely 100% bona fide spoilers in the track listings for the soundtrack. So if you do not want to be spoiled on plot elements of episode four and five, I would recommend holding off on purchasing this until after those episodes have broadcast. It's a little strange to me that they even put this out yeah. after only three episodes rather than just waiting until episode five was broadcast and then releasing it then, but that's beside the point. Jamie, is this a soundtrack that you will be listening to at any point in the future? Yeah, I, I actually, I really like the, I mean, I certainly like the central theme of Picard, uh, Jeff Russo's theme. I love the the motif. I love the little the bits of the Resican flute. And I think he's done a great job generally across the series so far. I have, I've loved the use of the Romulan commander theme from Balance of Terror every time Narek appears. Yeah. Like that, that's been a beautiful little uh, Easter egg and, and great mood music as well for the show it does seem it is very similar to discovery certainly the opening theme is in terms of the central motif uh, originally i was kind of like oh this is you know very heavy on strings and i, I kind of went oh, i'm not sure that i i like the fact that it's it's so similar to the discovery opening theme until i kind of went but that kind of fits for me because you know the, there's i actually like the notion that there's some connective tissue between the new kind of kurtzman trek shows as, as we kind of go that it actually works that they there is a kind of uh, a connection between the two and, and, you know, being done by the same composer, I think will help provide that. So I, I'm not a big soundtrack listener, generally speaking, although I've got all the, the DS9 um, soundtracks, and which I do listen to occasionally. And, you know, Jeff Russo's work is fantastic. So um, if you're a soundtrack lover, absolutely run out and get this. Yeah, I'm a huge soundtrack lover and I am really pleased that this has been released. I, I was, obviously I knew it was going to happen. I just wasn't expecting it to happen so quickly. So I'm, I'm really pleased to, to have this music in my hands, particularly some of the, you know, major themes. I mean, the opening theme to the show is excellent. It was one where when I heard it the first time, I wasn't sure how I felt about it, but it has really, really grown on me the more I listen to it. And, and now I, I really, really like it. And also some of the, the music cues that have you know, some of the more famous and iconic themes from Star Trek, like, for example, track 13 is don't tell me the name don't tell me the name <laughs> i will not tell you the name but it includes the the cue from the closing few seconds of the most recent episode where our new motley crew is assembled aboard this ship and picard gives the order to engage and you get the next generation theme sort of swells as he does that uh, which is just a fabulous piece of music and now you can listen to it as many times as you want to uh, so uh, really pleased to have this really pleased that we'll be getting two releases for this season because it means that that'll be two discs worth and therefore we'll get much more of the overall music. The only track that I'm a little disappointed is missing is the track from the opening of episode two, uh, which is the, the track that ran over the attack on Mars, which is this very sort of creepy kind of synthy uh, music that really sets the tone for that scene. It's sad to see that not on there, but the sort of balance of terror callbacks are there. All the big Jerry Goldsmith theme parts are there. So there's lots and lots Lots of fun on this soundtrack as long as you don't pay attention to the track titles. I wonder if they, they I think they announced that that kind of like a pre-credit sequence was very lately added in the, in the 
So I wonder if that's got something to do with that. Yes. And Alex, they made the decision to turn it from two into three. And I think every Star Trek fan for the rest of time will make the decision to turn those three into one. <laughs> yeah, for sure. The way, the way that the show works, there is no way you are stopping watching at the end of episode two. That's for sure. I Like you mentioned last week, I was screaming at my computer, you can't stop now. And, you know, I think those three episodes are going to be watched as one. And what, what a great way to finish that opening chapter of the novel of Star Trek Picard with the, you know, that engage finish that you referred to uh, a second ago. How, how good was that? Oh, amazing. And and yeah, I mean, I think from now on, everybody's going to watch one, two and three together. And, and it's certainly not the kind of thing where you're, where you're going to be like, oh, I want to watch some Star Trek. I think I'm going to watch some Picard. I only have time for one episode. Oh, let's make it Maps and Legends. Let's watch episode two. <laughs> yeah, I think it'll be when you have time to, uh, to watch all three together. And we'll see how the rest of the se- season plays out. If it plays out that way, if it becomes more kind of individual and self-contained, certainly seems like the 10 episodes are supposed to be sort of treated as as one overall story but lots of different ways that can unfold over the next few weeks and so our last story this week is not Picard related. We're actually pivoting to Star Trek Discovery. Yes, we're in a bit of a discovery lull at the moment because CBS's attention is fully on Picard, but we know Discovery is is looming just around the corner once Picard is finished. And we actually got an announcement this week of a new Star Trek Discovery novel, the next Star Trek Discovery novel, which will be released on July 14th by John Jackson Miller, who also wrote the Enterprise War, which I think many fans consider to be one of the best of the five Discovery novels that have been released to date. John Jackson Miller's new Discovery novel, Die Standing, will feature the Mirror Universe version of Philippa Georgiou after she's entered the Prime Universe. So it seems like from reading the solicitation copy that the book takes place at some point in Discovery Season 2 while Georgiou is sort of off-screen and not being seen. It sort of features her induction into Section 31. Uh, And interestingly, the solicitation copy also indicates that one of the characters who appears Here's in the book, in addition to Philippa Georgiou, will be Emily Dax, one of the previous hosts of the Dax symbiont that ultimately led to Jadzia and Esri that we saw in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which I think is really interesting, given that from the Star Trek Discovery Season 3 trailer we do see that the trills do feature and to my mind maybe this is a, i'm i'm getting ahead of myself and into the into speculation but that's the next section alex yeah right but one small theory i have is that this sort of reinforces the idea that maybe we will see a later dax host as part of Star Trek Discovery Season 3. But this looks like a cool novel. Jamie, what do you think? Is this the Star Trek Discovery novel or is this the first Section 31 tie-in novel? I wonder uh, how much coordination John Jackson Miller and the writers of the new Section 31 show and the Discovery uh, writers, how this all fits in together. So that that's going to be fascinating to see uh, whether this actually sort of kind of in the way that the Countdown comics have provided, right? Like a little bit of a, a, a pre sense of the direction that Picard was going in. Whether this will actually provide a little sense of the direction that Section Thirty One goes in. That'll be interesting to see. Yeah, that's a really interesting idea. I had not thought about that at all. But yeah, I mean, it, it could very well do that. And look, of course, delighted to see Emily Dax. Very rarely do you get that that you know. Deep 
DS9 Discovery crossover. You know, I was recently on the Trek Ranks crossover episode and, you know, the notion of a Discovery DS9 crossover is delightful from my point of view. It's going to be fascinating to see and delightful to hear that Dax is busy doing other things, you know, other than standing on her head and making sweet, sweet love to Leonard McCoy. <laughs> if we if we get that scene in that book, I'll be delighted uh, too. That's, that's, that's going to be interesting. All right. Well, we've talked about the facts and now let's speculate on what's going to happen in the future of Star Trek. You make some very good points, Captain. But it's still all speculation and theory. So each week, I and my guests give you a wish or a theory we're nurturing about the future of the franchise. So, Jamie, let's hear your theory or wish for this week. Well, mine's going to be a direct segue from talking about Section 31. So we've heard, we've known for some time that the new Section 31 show will start filming when Discovery wraps. And I've got kind of like a lot of the internet out there, including some of the Dominion propaganda, um, I've got you know mixed feelings about exactly where Section 31 is going to go and how that's going to work itself out. I'm very much one of the people that will watch any Trek put in front of me and I'll decide whether or not I like it once I actually see it rather than prejudging anything. And I certainly have a lot of trust in Boyon Kim and Erica Lippold, massive DS9 nerds for a start. So, you know, they I have a lot of trust in where they're going to head with, with Section 31. But my wish for the show is that if Star Trek is looking to do these kind of different genres that kind of, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is famous for doing, you know, we've got Nickelodeon shows going to be for kids. We've got a comedy coming. You know, Picard's very much a drama. Discovery's very much action sci-fi. If we get a Starfleet Academy show, especially if I think as originally rumored, Josh Schwartz and Stephanie Savage end up being the the showrunners, you know, you're going to get a teen angst kind of aspect. My wish for Section 31 is that there's a niche, I think, in the Star Trek universe for a kind of... James Bond, Man from Uncle, Mission Impossible kind of, you know, vibe. And the, the notion, I'd love to see a kind of, you know, secret agent section 31 going on missions through the Star Trek universe, all that kind of stuff. That to me would be, I'd be like super keen for that. And that, it kind of fits with what section 31 is. Whether or not we get that, I'm not sure. I think we're going to get a redemption story for a genocidal sociopath instead, which I'm kind of less keen to see. But that is, that is my wish for the future of the franchise. There you go. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, uh, first of all, great wish. I think I'm right there with you. Uh, but I think I, I think it, uh, sort of something that is underpinning your wish there is a wish for something fun. And Discovery and Picard are great shows, very different shows, but both of them kind of base their tone around high drama. I mean, there are funny moments in both shows, but they are not necessarily fun shows and you could make a fun show that is a bit lighter in terms of its content. You put your finger right on it. So my theory this week is actually a listener submitted theory. So this comes from Weekly Trek listener Linda Butler and it relates to this issue of there being two unannounced Star Trek shows out there in the ether. And Linda's theory, well it's actually more of a wish than a theory, is a wish that one of these new shows is set around an alien race, potentially the Klingons, which I think sounds very fun and very different and would give us a really different slice of life. You know, in some ways, Picard thus far has been 
a little bit of a show about an alien race. I mean, the Romulans are so present thus far in all of this show. We've seen multiple Romulans spread across every episode. They do feature very strongly in the cast of the show. And it, and not just as being characters interacting with our other characters, but this whole idea of Romulan culture and mythology and the society of Romulus as a whole very much plays into the story. But I think it would be very cool to get a new show that's set around an alien race. Jamie, I mean, I think I can probably guess what you're going to pick, but if you were in charge of a new Star Trek show and you were told it had to be around one of the races of the Star Trek universe, who would you pick? Wow, that's a great question because, ah, uh, geez, what would, I, what would I pick? Now I want to know what you thought I was going to pick. I anticipated that you would immediately go to one of the major DS9 races like yes, the Majorans but- or the Cardassians. <laughs> No, no, no. I mean, look, my love for DS9 knows no bounds, but, uh, you know, my love for Trek supersedes all. So I'm, I'm happy to go in any direction. I love the idea of the Klingons. I mean, the Klingons are our classic, our classic mirror held up to, you know, Cold War society. You know, the Romulans played a part in the original series, of course, as well from that point of view. But I just think um, I love the notion of, hey, Let's switch the perspective around and watch the Federation and Starfleet from a totally different point of view. That, that sounds like a great show. So, um, yeah, that, what a great suggestion. You want to know who I would pick? Who would you pick? Shucker, When the Walls Fell. <laughs> nice. <I like> that. <laughs> let's get a, I mean, it's probably better for a short track than it is for a whole series, but let's get like a Temerian show in which they speak entirely in metaphor based off of the Next Generation episode, Darmok. As I sit here talking to you in Las Vegas, I'm wearing my Darmok and Gelada Tanagra. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, with them as the band. Uh-huh. You know, so how, how good's that? So I'm, I'm all on board with your, your idea there. That's, that's a great one. Do you have a theory or a wish for Discovery, Picard, or the future of the franchise that you'd like to share? Tweet them to me at Weekly Trek, and I might feature your theory in a future episode. Well, that's all the time we've got for this episode of Weekly Trek. Thank you so much to my guest, Jamie McGregor, for joining me today. Jamie, how can people contact you if they want to continue the conversation? Feel free to hit me up on Twitter, my, where my handle is at jmacref, jmac. Uh, J-M-A-C underscore R-E-F. So very happy to chat about uh, the future of Trek and uh, what's going on weekly in Trek on Twitter. And we will see you in Las Vegas in six months. Try not to drink too much between now and then. 100% waiting for that Laris Zaban duo photo op, right? Oh, I'm, I, I want it, man. I really, really want it. They are my favorite characters on this show so far. How good. And you can find this show on Twitter at Weekly Trek and me at Alexander T. Perry. And if you enjoy the show, please consider leaving us a five-star review on your podcast player of choice. And please check out some of the other great shows on the Tricorder Transmissions. And if you like our shows, please also consider becoming a Patreon of Tricorder, which you can find at patreon.com slash the Tricorder Transmissions. And lastly, if you're looking for Star Trek news on the internet, I hope you will turn to trekcore.com. Well, thank you, Jamie. Thank you to all of my listeners. And until next week, live long and prosper. Prosper.